Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We're going to be talking about some familiar things today. And uh, because of that, as I've often said, that there is a tendency sometimes to kind of disconnect. We feel sometimes we've heard the story and uh, because we're standing in a familiar place. But I want to just remind you, and these are not to be uh, packaged as an apologetic entrance into what we're going to talk about today. But Philippians 3, Paul said to the Philippian church, that's not where I'm teaching from, I just want to mention this, but in Philippians 3 and 1, Paul said, uh, he said, "To to write the same things to you, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous. Paul said, I'm not, I don't, don't, I'm writing, I know I've already written this, I know I've already said this, but I want you to know that I don't find this grievous. I'm not bothered by the fact that, I, that we're passing by this way again. And then Paul goes on to say something very, very, very powerful in six words. He said, it's not grievous for me. He said, but for you, it is safe. It's safe for me to just say this again, tell it again. Amen, I, I think I'll shout it again. And so Paul said, uh, what I think Paul was trying to say is he said, I'm, I'm not just writing something here because I don't have anything else to write or anything new to write, but I'm writing to you uh, again because it is safe for you to get this and, and let the Spirit of the Lord. And, and also in Romans, uh, he said to the church in Rome, in Rome, Romans 2 and 21, uh, he said that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, but, but I am not twisting it. But he said in Romans 2 and 21, he said that you can't teach without teaching. You can't teach another without teaching yourself. And so a teacher can't teach another without teaching themselves. And so as you pass by something, the residue of that's going to get off on, on you again. And so we teach many times very common things, very, uh, uh, thing, very things that are very familiar to us. But as we pass by them again, you know what happens? I, I don't just discharge that to you or whoever else I may be speaking or preaching to, but, but a residue of that gets off on me again. <laughs> and that's why I believe, this is just, uh, just me, but that's why I believe that there is such excitement when you're teaching and preaching the word of God because you can't teach others without teaching yourself. And so at just as you're reminded of the powerful truths of God, I am or whoever may be reminded one more time of those infallible truths that just hold, hold, hold us secure and hold us still in his hands. And I'm thankful for the, for the word of the Lord today. I want you, if you will, uh, you can remain seated, but just turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this is, uh, we're going to use this as a, a, a launch pad, and then I want to share with you an illustration that I, I know that somewhere through the years I've shared with you, but it's been a long, long time, and uh, you may or may not remember this, but 
it, it was, I think God just kind of used uh, something to kind of stir up some pure thought in me. And so I want to share, share that with you today. Is everybody all right? All right, just making sure. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to his to enjoy. And uh, I'm going to pause right here. I, don't, I think that our minds need to run past bank accounts and assets because uh, there, there's a lot of ways to be rich in this world, and that's the connotation that Paul was speaking of. And in verse 18, he said, they that, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Verse 19 says, laying up in store for themselves. Here's what happens. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. And so he says, Here, here's what's happening. He said, we need to make sure that our priorities are straight because what we need to really be doing is making sure that the foundation is sure. And so before we start uh, polishing the chandeliers, we, we need to make sure that what's holding the chandeliers up is gonna stay. And, uh, you know, when it comes to a, a freight train, the, the thing that gets the most attention is the, is the whistle. But it had the horn, but it has nothing to do with getting freight from point A to point B. And so before you start polishing the horn, we, we might make sure that the tracks are okay. We, we'd better make sure that the pilings that are holding up the trestle, that, that is what's gonna stand the test of time. And so we... We need to make sure that these foundations are right. And so with that, I want to talk about today a good foundation. In, 19, in 1992, a man by the name of Michael Plant attempted a solo crossing of the North Atlantic from the U.S. to France. Michael Plant was a very popular American yachtsman. However, two weeks into his voyage, something went strangely amiss. Michael Plant and his sailboat were both lost at sea. Now, when he had prepared to sail, this is what's important to understand. Friends and family all gathered to the dock. They were there to enthusiastically bid him farewell on a journey that would no doubt land his name in record books for all time. When he had, uh, there, there was no reason for any anxiety. There was no, really, no real reason for anybody to doubt the mission nor to even doubt the success of the mission. Because you see, Michael Plant was not just an average man. He was not just another guy with a boat. He was not just another man with a dream. But Michael Plant's seafaring skills were just without equal. He stood in his own, his own. Plant's mid-sized boats, affectionately named the Coyote, was state-of-the-art. The design of its hull and the material used in all of his equipment were the epitome of modern sailing technology, certainly for 1992. In fact, he had 
installed an emergency positioning indicating radio beacon that was capable of transmitting a message from a satellite in the event of any difficulty. So it was with great peace, and I want you to realize this is in 1992. So when you think about the technology of that day, uh, this was something that would ensure the success of this trip. Plant had made every possible preparation. He had thought of everything. He was not alone in this endeavor. A team of men were working with him. He had the best expertise, the best experience, the best equipment that money could buy. The greatest minds of the day were on this task. These are the reasons why everyone was so confident when they stood on the, on the dock to, to say goodbye. They were so confident that he would indeed succeed. They believed in their heart that Nothing could go wrong, A, and if anything goes wrong, we have it all under control. Everything is going to be all right. But something did go wrong. 11 days into the journey, radio contact with Michael Plant was lost. Initially, initially and ironically, the radio silence raised very little alarm because they said, we've got this, we've got this. It was discovered that some strong storms were in the course of his travel. And so there, there came an immediate assumption based on the technology that was on this vessel, based on the skilled, uh, the skilled hands and minds of this particular mariner and based upon all of the minds that had been at work to even bring this mission to fruition and so everyone just assumed that he was just too busy to contact them because he was indeed in the throes of a storm. Also, no one reported any SOS or verified any distress signal, so all must be well. He's, he's just busy, and when the storms subside, he will contact us. And so they went for a few more hours based on the old saying that no news is good news. But when the Coyote's radio silence persisted for several days, confidence now has been replaced with concern. There was a growing apprehension among all of those that had put their hands to this task that, that something must be amiss. This long period of silence, this is, this is just out of character for the man that is sailing this vessel. Finally, people realize something is wrong. A search was launched and pilots were instructed to listen for signal ships that were passing in the general area were told to be on the lookout and rescue aircraft began combing this particular part of the Atlantic. Yet days passed without any sighting or signal. Something indeed is wrong. And then came the news that no one ever expected to hear. The coyote with her well-designed hull and with the best of materials was found floating upside down. In addition to that, there was no sign of Michael Plant or no clue as to what had happened. It was later discovered that 11 days into his voyage, ground stations in Canada and the U.S. had indeed picked up a distress signal from this high-caliber, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art radio that was aboard this vessel. But instead of there being four blasts, Necessary to fix the, on the satellite on a location, there were only three. And so with only three, they had no way of honing in on the exact location of this vessel. 
Technicians were unable with such a brief transmission to find where the distress signal was coming from. The ironies do not stop here. It was later learned that Plant had in himself installed this cutting-edge radio, but Plant had not registered. He had failed to register the signal of this radio with the Coast Guard so a distress signal could not be recognized even had it been sounded. It can only be guessed, we're just surmising, that he was so confident of his ability, so confident of the equipment on board, so confident of the material and the boat that he treated his personal safety too casually. Everyone in the sailing world was so shocked to hear that the coyote was found and he was found without, without its master. They had built the most <clears throat> vigorous seagoing vessel that man or money could offer and now they stand disillusioned. Sailors and mariners allege that a sailboat was, was designed by its very nature to always right itself. It may be in a storm. It may be even tossed in a storm, but by design, a sailboat will always right itself as soon as the wind stops blowing. So why, why? Why was this sailboat found floating upside down? The answer soon became clear. Because in order for a sailboat to maintain a steady course and not capsize, there must be more weight below the waterline than above the waterline. And so any violation of this simple principle, it's just a simple principle, but it will certainly mean disaster. And so when the coyote was built, an 8,000 pound weight was bolted to the keel for this very reason. We're gonna make sure we have more below than we have above. That kind of weight below the waterline assured the stability of this vessel. But if you alter that ratio, the first threatening wind or wave is gonna not just be a problem, it's gonna be a serious problem. It could be a life-threatening problem. It's not exactly clear what happened. We may never know. History still is a little foggy as to this. No one really knows why or how but they know this, for whatever reason, that 8,000 pound weight beneath the waterline broke away. Four tons of metal was simply missing. And when that occurred, the boat's stability was compromised and the first significant wave or wind became most likely the probable death blow. And when it happened, when it happened, by the time, by the time four tons of metal had sunk and found its resting place on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, there was no time for this skilled man to even send an SOS signal. No weight below the waterline to ensure his stability. No emergency radio that was now in an operable condition. There was no time to take countermeasures. It was too late. It was too late. And so what was the end result? The end result was that a very capable and a very experienced and a much admired man was lost at sea. Now I know that I've taken a long time telling the story today, but I'm not just trying to waste your time. I'm reiterating a story that I read many, many years ago 
Because I fear the same thing that happened to Michael Flint can happen to us. Can happen to us as a church. It can happen to us individually. And so we must sail forward with caution. We need to make sure that we have the main thing, the main thing. Because you see, it's not just, it's not just what we see above the waterline that matters. It's not the bedazzling color of the vessel. It's not, it's not the sail and all, and all of its splendor. It's not the ropes. It's not, it's not all of those things that will help hold us. It's what you can't see. That's what's keeping us stable. You know, I, 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 I want to just say to any department that I may reference here today in our church, please don't take it personal. Uh, I, I'm just trying to make a point, so I'm not, I'm not, on, a, I'm not on a campaign to, to uh, discount anything that's done here in this church at all. I greatly appreciate every hand that we have to the plow. But sometimes I am very, very concerned that, that people think that the reason we're having a good service is because... Uh, we've got a great singer behind the pulpit or uh, the reason that we're having such a good move of God is because we've got very skilled musicians that are on, uh, on, on, the, on the instruments and, and we have those things. Uh, we really do have those things and I, I say that humbly. But I'm going to tell you that, that I'm, while I'm thankful for those things and would never want God to strip those things of us, I'm going to tell you that what really is riding this ship are not the things that you can see. Now we need those things. We need those Sunday school teachers that are in that annex at this very moment teaching a Sunday school class. I'm thankful for that. We, we need those that, are, that have their hands to the mission and the ministry of this particular local church, but I'm going to tell you that what makes, what makes the apostolic church an apostolic church is apostolic living. Amen. Well, I'm just gonna back up and say it again. That I, I believe that what makes an apostolic church an apostolic church is not the beat of the drum, the thump of the bass, it's not the stroke of the keyboard, it is not the finesse of the leader, it is not the finesse of the teacher, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not. <laughs> Amen, we are standing on the foundation, a foundation that is powerful and that is what we must ensure that we have. We must not become the next Michael Plant spiritually. It's happening to too many people because sometimes we are taking so much time and care and attention to just tend to the things that are above the waterline until we are not making sure that what we're building on is gonna be here for another generation to come. Amen. Lord, help us today that we will be very, very sensitive to the spirit and the power of God. Amen. There, there must be something uh, that is beneath us. There must, there must be an undergirding to this church and to us individually that is holding us something significant. Amen. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be plain today if that's all right. We, we can come in here and sing like birds on Sunday. We can come in here and have everything down pat. We can just have every, everything just seamless and everything smooth. But if we think we're gonna get up and walk out of this building and then Monday we're just gonna live an adulterous life, amen, if Monday we're just gonna flirt with the world and do this and we're gonna entangle and ensnare ourselves 
with the things of this world. Are, are you hearing me today? If we think we can just touch, we can just embrace this and embrace that and, and embrace the other and then somehow just come back in here and sing our good old Pentecostal songs and everything is gonna be all right? It's not. I'm here today to sound an alarm and tell you that it's not what we do here it is not just what we do here. Amen. It is what we do when we walk away from here. What is the temperature of our home? What is the spiritual climate of our home? What is the spiritual climate of our marriage? What is the spiritual climate of our relationship with one another in the church? Are we going to be able to just come up here and lift holy hands before the Lord when we can't speak to half of the people that are in this church because of animosity and awe in our heart? We're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. We need a good foundation to stand on. If we get the the foundation right, then the Spirit of God will be released in our midst to flow. Yes, it will. Something deep within us must be right. Because you see, what's deep within us is eventually going to come out. I know I talk a lot about being faithful to worship services. I, I preach that because I believe that and I, I believe that because it's in the word of God. And so there you have it. I preach a lot about being faithful. I think we ought to be faithful. I preach about faithfulness on Sunday. I preach about faithfulness on Wednesday. I preach about faithfulness to the things that we do outside of Sunday and Wednesday, that, that we need to be committed to those things. I know there are circumstances that prevent us from being in church from time to time. That's not what I'm talking about. Amen, I'm talking about people that can that just won't. Amen, people that could but just refuse. I'm talking about people that wouldn't let anything keep them from a, a fishing trip or a hunting trip or a golf trip, amen, but, but, but the, a pebble in the way can keep them out of church. That's who I'm talking to today, amen. We need to make sure that nothing's in the way. I wanna make sure nothing's in the way. Do you know, I'm just gonna pause and meddle here just a minute. You might call it meddling. I'm gonna call it pastoring. But you know, in the Bible, there were cities of refuge that were set up for those that were in distress, those that were in trouble, amen, cities of refuge that were set up and as they began to grow, cities of refuge were added. Why? Because they wanted the distance for everybody to be the same. If you need to get to the city of refuge, it's not just gonna be a, a mile for you and, and, and 40 miles for somebody else, but we wanna make this central where everybody has a fair shot. But I found something in history that encouraged me. Amen, I found something many years ago that encouraged me, not only were there cities of refuge, but there were people who were employed that their sole job was to maintain the path or the road on the way to the city of refuge. That if, that if a storm come along and washed a rut in the road, their job was to fix that. You know why? Because when somebody was headed for the city of refuge, they were running for their life. And if there a tree had fallen down, it was their job every day. Where are you going? I'm going to check the road on the way to the city of refuge. What are you doing? I'm checking the path on the city of refuge. Why are you going again? Why are you doing this again? Because when somebody comes down this road, it won't be a Sunday afternoon drive. They're not just out with the kids riding around bird watching. Amen, but when they come down this road, they are in need. I'm gonna tell you that every day we better check and make sure there's nothing in the path on the way to the house of God, the city of refuge. Amen, if you, <laughs> if you will hear me today, 
when I am on my way to church, don't get in my way because I'm running for my life. I'm coming for my life. I didn't show up to sing. I didn't show up to preach. I didn't just show up because I got a little limelight. I come here because it's the house of God, the city of refuge. I gotta build my life on the right foundation. I gotta build it on the right foundation. Praise God, praise God. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, my, my, my. My Lord, I feel something slipped up behind me and got on me here today. Amen. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I want to I wanna walk this path and make sure there's nothing in my way. I was raised on singing like this. Amen. I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about the message of the song. I was raised on singing like this. It said, I don't want nothing here to hinder me. I want my life to be what it have it be. And when I come to that great eternity, I wonder if he is satisfied with me. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. I got my Bible. I might need somebody to bring me a guitar. Hallelujah. We need something. I don't want anything hindering me. I don't want anything in the path. I want to make sure that I'm building my world on a good foundation. I'm gonna tell you, and I don't say this to be a fear monger today, but I'm gonna tell you, I want my life to be built on the right foundation that no matter what the doctor's report says, I can hold on, I can hold on. I want my life to be real on the right kind of foundation. Oh, hallelujah. So that when the job hands you a pink slip that you didn't see coming, I can hold on. I can hold on because I built my world on the right foundation. I want to be right with God. I gotta make sure I'm on the right foundation. Mm. Never more was this driven home to me than in the early years of our marriage. We were just young newlyweds and in the city in Winter Haven where we lived at the time, there was a beautiful apartment building. I know that we see things like this today. It doesn't really move us at that as much as it did then, but a beautiful apartment building, several stories high, just built right across the street from Cypress Gardens. And, 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 and there it, it came about, I, I'm not really sure why it was called the Marlboro House, but it, that was the name of it, the Marlboro House, and, and that had nothing to do with the other, but that just happened to be the name of it, and so that big, beautiful structure, and it was just the talk of the town, and it was always in the newspaper, and, and people began to see something like that come up, and, and so there, there it was in all of its majesty and its beauty, and they finally got everything landscaped, and it was just standing there, awaiting its occupants when somebody realized the foundation was wrong. Shockwaves went through the community. Caution tape ribboned the property. Everything was frozen. Men, families, people that had invested prematurely buying those condominiums now were in, in a holding pattern because we gotta wait and see what happens. They brought engineers from all over the world in to make sure are you right? Is this correct? And indeed, they were correct. It was wrong. Something was wrong. In a city, a community that had gathered and watched this monument come out of the ground brick by brick, now 
months later are standing there watching as that building implodes and sets down in its own footprint because the foundation was wrong. The foundation was wrong. So if the world has enough sense to say, I don't care how much money you got here. If the world has enough sense to say, I don't care how beautiful it looks. I don't care what the landscape looks like. It doesn't matter to me how well manicured the lawn is. What they were trying to say the first time a storm comes, there's gonna be a loss of life. I'm belaboring an issue here today, but I feel it in the Holy Ghost that it's not just enough to walk through these doors individually, but I'm gonna tell you that we can't just walk here and check our name off that proverbial list. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I, I think there's something, I, I think there's something that's, there's, uh, help me to figure this out, Lord, to say it right. Amen, I'm not just talking about coming to church to show up. I'm not just, I'm not talking about so that we can get another little gold pin on our lapel. What I'm talking about is that when we have made a commitment to the house, to the to the Lord of the house, we will make a commitment to the house of the Lord. Amen, there you go. <laughs> Amen, and so when we have not committed to the house of the Lord, it may be an indicator that we have not committed to the Lord of the house. And so I, 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 I'm, yes, I want, I, yes, I think it's important to be here. Boy, it's getting quiet. Not only is it getting quiet, it's getting a little tight. But that's all right, I didn't start preaching yesterday and I'm not mad. Amen, but I'm not gonna stand and let the devil tighten this down. I'm gonna stand against it. Amen, I'm gonna push back. I'm gonna push back. Amen, I'm gonna tell you that we need to fall in love with the Lord of the house. And when we get in love with the Lord of the house, we will automatically love the house of the Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like I must insert this. I know there are exceptions. I know there are sicknesses. And I know that sometimes our schedules are, are completely to the point where we're temporarily taken off the grid. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being spiritually lazy and unaccountable. Amen. And so we can't just focus on, on certain things. We have... We have got to make sure that we are not just walking in the house, but I've got to make sure that I've committed myself to personal prayer time. Not just the times that we're here with our hands raised, but personal prayer time. I've got to make sure that I'm committed not to just reading the Bible when the preacher said, let's all stand, turn with me to the book of Mark. I'm talking about that I'm back in that word. I've got that word in my heart. Got that word in my life. Got that word in my spirit to encourage and to strengthen me. Amen. Those personal times of fasting, not when the church is fasting altogether. Amen. But those times that I feel like I just got to turn that plate upside down. I got to push that away. What are you working on? I'm working on a good foundation. Amen. Why are you spending so much time on the foundation? Nobody is going to ooh and awe ah over the foundation. Nobody is going to ask you what size are the footers. Nobody's going to ask you what kind of rebar or steel did you put in the footer? They're only gonna ask you what color is the paint? What kind of carpet? Where did you get these views? What kind of lighting is this? But you see, all of that will matter nothing if somebody long before the drywall man, long before the electrician, long before the carpet layer, long before they showed up, somebody was out here alone digging a footer. I mean, alone they were digging a footer, wiring it in, pulling it all together because they realized the value of a good foundation. Oh, hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Can we do that, please, Lord? Oh, God. Oh, God, help me today. Help me today, God. Help me today, God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, help me today. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me today. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'll tell you, I don't, I'm not seeking for your sympathy. I'm not seeking for your sympathy today, but I feel like I'm walking a tightrope. I need to be as strong as I can, but I don't want to be a smart aleck. Amen, but I need to be as direct as I can, but I don't want to sound cocky. Amen, I need to be as close in your face as I can possibly get in your face. Amen, but I'm not trying to abuse you today. I'm telling you what we need if this church is going to stand the test of time. Amen, I'm thankful for 75 years, but you know what? Those 75 years are almost spent. And so I'm not turned to look at those 75. I'm turned, I'm looking at the next 75. I want to make sure that 10 years from now, amen, we're still an apostolic church. I want to make sure that 10 years from now, we're still preaching this. Amen, I want you to know that 10 years from now, I still want there to be people being baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. Is this all right? Is this all right? Hallelujah. Don't let me preach this by myself. Don't let me believe this by myself. We need, we need a church. We need a family. We need a body that is sold out. Sold out. Sold out. Oh, I'm so far. I'm so far away from. Amen. I just feel like sharing something. I don't even know why I'm doing all this. Amen, I, I don't, I'm sure somewhere along the line, 26 years, I've told a lot of stories, a lot of truths. And uh, I may have shared this with you before, but my grandfather had already had a stroke by the time I had ever started preaching and he was taken out, so to speak, and he was still alive but couldn't communicate that much, couldn't talk, and uh, was paralyzed on one side. And, and so I talked to Brother Tumman, my pastor, Brother Billy Tumman felt my call to ministry and on this Tuesday night he gave me an opportunity to exercise that call and, and I want to tell you it wasn't earth shattering, I promise you that. But, but it, was, it was a monumental time for me. I, I don't remember the exact time frame between actually preaching actually preaching that message and actually seeing my grandfather next for the first time. But by the time I saw him, he was in a hospital bed in my mother and dad's living room who were keeping him at the time. A later, Aunt Bobby uh, would take care of him. But at the time, he was in my mom and dad's house. And, and uh, Aunt Murrah, I remember. I remember sitting. <clears throat> I remember sitting down on the side of that hospital bed, and I was trying to tell him I preached my first message, Papa. He could only raise one hand, but he raised that one hand, and tears started. Tears started coming down his eyes, 
in his lips. He could not speak with his lips. He said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can think whatever you want to think. You can write me off as a fool. That'll be your, your decision to make. But I want to tell you that he looked through me. He looked through me. If I was an artist, if I had the skill, I feel that look is so embedded in my mind that I could paint it verbatim. Without words, without a wagging, pointing finger, I felt the charge of the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you what I felt. I felt an apostolic charge of the Holy Ghost. You see, I showed up. I showed up to tell my papa I preached. I preached what I felt all my life. What I had felt all of my life, a call, a pull to the ministry, what I felt in my heart. I'd finally got the courage to admit. I'd finally got the courage to, to talk to a shepherd about it. I'd finally got the courage to let somebody guide me. And I finally had an opportunity. But I didn't count on that look. I didn't anticipate that. I just went there to share some good news with my grandfather. Because you see, I was 19 then, seven years before this. I was 12 years old. If I've told you all this, I'm sorry. I was 12 years old. And in the middle of the night, I felt such a pressing, such a yearning, such a burning in my spirit. that I went in my parents' room and I woke them up. It was two or three o'clock in the morning. I'm not exaggerating. And I told my mom and dad, they sat up in the bed, and I said, I feel like I just need to talk to Papa. I feel called to the ministry. I feel like I need to talk to Papa, Big Mom. And, and, and so I, I, I don't know how the conversation ensued, but I finally convinced them, I'm not, I'm not, I mean now. I'm not talking about it in the morning. Right now. I don't have any idea what went through my mom and dad's mind and I'm, I'm kind of mystified by this whole thing when I think about it and I start telling it. And of course, you know, kids around here, especially back then, you drove, you just drove everywhere. They said, well, take the car. <laughs> and I drove up to my grandparents' house and I went around to their bedroom window and I knocked on their window. They got out of bed and turned the lights. I was 12 something was burning in my heart I sat out on the side of the bed in my own just childlike way I was trying to tell Papa I feel called to the ministry and my, my grandfather the only thing I can ever remember him saying over and over he just said I'm satisfied that you are I'm satisfied that you are and we had prayer there was a long turbulent ride from 12 to 19 you hear me I made a lot of mistakes and some of you were alive to see them and you've been so kind. Amen. 
Wayne Townsend probably sitting here today. He probably has more dirty laundry on me than anybody in this room. We were not only neighbors, but we were friends, and he, he invested in me. I remember him sitting in my yard one night. I was sitting in his truck. I don't even know if he remembers this. I was such a smart aleck. So rebellious, I was trying to figure out how to get out from under all this that I was feeling. And I remember telling him, I just want to live like I want to live. I want to be left alone. But he just wouldn't leave me alone. And he loved me through all my mess. He wasn't alone. I see a bunch of faces here that loved me through my mess. And about four Sundays ago when I got a text message from from Wayne Townsend talking about how proud he was of his pastor. I read that text and I thought about sitting in the front yard of our home when I was such a mess. (laughs) So how did you make it? I made it because I was attached to a church that had the right foundation. I was attached to a church that wouldn't eat me alive and devour me and wouldn't. I don't know what was going through the church's mind. On January the 14th of 1989, I have no idea what was going through your mind when we said, yes, we would like him to be our next pastor. (laughs) You knew me good. You knew me bad. You knew me ugly. But it takes people standing on the right foundation that says, yes. Yes. We'll make this journey together. Let's pray while our sons goes to Sats come in. Let's pray, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yes. I'm not really given, it's just just my nature. I'm not really given much to visiting the cemetery. I have a mother and a father, a nephew, grandparents. I'm certainly not being cynical or critical of those who do. I I can appreciate that. I'm, I'm not... Please don't mistake what I'm saying. And I've got enough sense to know that my grandfather and grandmother's not still there. 
There's been a few times in 26 and a half years when I felt such a pull to compromise. When I felt so much pressure, so much pushback. I know you didn't drive here to hear all this today. If it's any consolation, I didn't drive all the way over here to say this. <clears throat> I left my notes at exit two. We've just been kind of riding around ever since. But when I feel such a push, just for a point of contact, don't think I'm crazy. I've walked out to that cemetery and I've stood at the foot of my grandfather's grave. And I just want to stand still and I want to recall that moment that he looked me in the eyes. Is this all right? Because I don't want to forget my foundation. I don't want to forget my foundation. I don't want to forget my foundation. Because it's not about what we do here. It's about what we do here. That's going to hold us. Here's, I don't know anything about sailboats and don't even care to learn. But here's the thing that I found so startling and so frightening. I don't know this. I don't know this at all. I'm just completely surmising. But I want you to just make this little journey with me, I, 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 just, I, I just wonder, I just wonder if, if this 4,000 pound chunk of metal that was on the bottom of this ship, if it just, if it just came loose, just bear with me now, if it, just, if it was just somebody failed to tighten it up, if it was just one bolt at a time that just slipped off, it is entirely possible, wouldn't you think I'm within a little bit of a realm of reason that it's entirely possible as the vessel sailed along and the, and the weight is all down here, if it came loose, it just came loose with silence. No announcement. It was below the water line. It, it, he couldn't see it. He couldn't feel it until it was gone. I'm telling you what, what just frightens me to no end is I, I'm thankful for good church. You hear me? I love the fact that the building is full. Last Sunday morning when I looked out and I saw chairs against the back wall and everybody sitting shoulder to shoulder, I said, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm glad for your blessings upon this place. But you know what? I like what all this looks like. But oh, Lord, look, let, me, let me check something. Let me check something. Let me, let me make sure. Let me make sure. I thank you, Lord, for the people and the families that have committed themselves. My wife on more than my wife and I on more than one occasion have looked across this parking lot. We've stood out on Wednesday afternoons and watched the cars coming in. We've stood with tears in our eyes that people would would make such a commitment to drive so far to come to the house of God. And when you get here, I'm so glad that we're all in this place together. But I'm going to tell you, Amen. While I got my arms raised and want to worship and love the Lord. I want to get out that creeper. Amen. I hope you know some of you what I'm talking about. I'm going to slide up under this thing because I want to make sure that what's really holding us is still there. <laughs> I want to make sure that what will keep us in the storm is still there. 
make sure that's still there. I want to hold that. I want to get my hands around that. Oh, I want to. Somehow there are times that I just want to jump over the edge of the proverbial ship. I want to jump over the edge of this sailboat that we call the church. I don't want to just rub my hands on its mask or its sail, but I want to swim underneath. I want to wrap my arms around that 4,000 pounds. I'm going to tell you today that while we worship and while we praise, don't get so caught up and let this be entertainment. Let this be a spectator sport. But when we say worship the Lord, you know what we're saying? Get overboard. Amen. Swim under the ship. Wrap your arms around this because this is what's holding us. This is what's holding us. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the I want to make sure that we're tending to necessary spiritual matters. I want to make sure we're doing this right. I can't just pay attention to what everything looks like. Make sure it feels right. I want to make sure that it's here, that it's solid. Make sure this will hold us in a storm. I'm going to be in trouble if I haven't taking care of the foundation. I'm gonna tell you it happens in marriages. You get married with every intention of making your marriage work and last, you work hard, you, you accumulate things and, and, and you get jobs and you're trying to be successful in your job. There's nothing wrong with that. You're, and if you're, not, if you're not careful, you can be so attentive to mowing the grass and making sure that everything's all right on the job. You can be so attentive to making sure everything around you, everybody else is happy and not realize that the foundation of your home is under stress. Is under stress. And before we know it, before we know it, we feel a shaking. It can happen in churches. Yes, it can. Friday night, Friday night, I was with a couple of pastor friends and we were recalling a story. Some of you heard, you were at this men's conference and heard this story shared when Brother Roland Baker and Sister Teresa Baker were evangelizing. And they went to a church to preach a revival, a church that had been revival, a church that had, had, had in its day had been the place to be. And when they got there to hold revival for that church and that huge building and it all died it all died and the sanctuary was black, blocked off some of you remember this story and they held the revival in the foyer of the church oh let's don't be foolish I'm thankful for the unity that we have in this church, but you know what? You can lose that overnight if you don't take care of it. That's why I implore you, if something gets all crossed up between you and somebody else, fix that. Fix that right now. Fix that. Fix that. Take care of that. Don't ignore that. Why? Those are foundational issues. Foundational issues. 
Amen. Somebody starts trying to sow discord. Stop that. Stop that. Stop. Why? That's foundational issues. Amen. It's foundational issues. That, that's, that, that can tear up the core. That can tear up the foundation. That can wedge into what we're building everything on. We've got to take care of some things. You've got to take care of some things because it's the foundation. That's below the waterline. You can't see it. Nobody will boast about that. We're working hard at establishing right ministries and, and we're working hard to establish the right people to lead these ministries. We're organizing our worship and, and seminars and, and, and hopefully we are pointed in a direction to even expand our facilities and build a new church. But, but you see, all of, this, all of this that we're planning to do has got to be built on the right foundation. It has got to be the right motive. It has got to be the right thing that serves as a catalyst to take us to these next levels. And so, amen, we, we need to make sure that we're building on, on the right thing, the right thing. Because you see, it will matter very little what people think you are. What will only really matter at the end of the day is who you are and what you are. Amen. So what can we do? It sounds simple, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that, that as simplistic as it sounds, what we must do is we must never forget about the foundation. And so <clears throat> the Lord began to deal with me several years ago and and in my heart, my my heartbeat, and I, I know that there has probably been some confusion through the years. I hope hope not now, but I hope that there is that there is evidence that I want us to work on us within. Because I am just a huge proponent. I believe in external holiness. I, I don't, please don't ever accuse me of anything less than that. But, but I believe that it, we need to get our hearts right because I know I'm taking a little extra time here today, but I, I've been around the block more than once. And I've seen people who had all the trimmings outside, but I'm gonna tell you, they were mean. 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 Hateful. Evil. Thank you, Brother Gibson. Evil. Is that what you said? Okay, I just didn't want to put words. <laughs> There's a backbone. Amen. I, didn't want, I just didn't want to put words in your mouth. Evil. So you can have all this external stuff just right and your heart be as rotten as eggs and evil and vile and, and malicious. And, and, and so I say, oh, God, I don't want that. I don't want that. But I don't want to throw down my holiness either because that's Bible. I don't want to get rid of that. So I got to figure out what do we do. I say as a church, let's start working on us. Let's start looking at our heart. Let's get envy and strife and bitterness and let's get our ego out of the way. Let's, amen. And so <laughs> somebody's always going to drive a better car than you. Somebody's always going to live in a bigger, you big the big, big the, build the biggest one you can build. And when you get through, the paint won't be dry and somebody will be digging the foundation on a bigger one. Get envy out of your heart. Amen. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing. Amen. I'm thankful. Woo. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what God has given us. Amen. You you got a Mercedes, drive it right on up here, but don't be in, but don't be discouraged if you park beside a Volkswagen. Amen. If and if you're driving a Volkswagen, I'm not trying to hit you today. 
Let me say this, you drive the best truck you want to drive in here, you drive the finest thing, and if you pull up beside a blue 1997 F-150, it's mine. It's mine. And I'll thank you to park far enough away that you don't ding my doors. Amen, you got on a $1,000 suit, come on in, come on in. You got on, you got on $700 shoes, come on in, come on in. But don't be offended if you sit down beside somebody with holes in the knees of their pants. Amen, don't be offended if you sit down. Why? It's the church. It's the church and we're built on the right foundation. It's the church, it's the church, it's the church. We gotta work on us. We gotta work on us. We gotta work on us. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost in this holy house. Oh. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Amen. We gotta build on a good foundation. We gotta build on a good foundation. And so let's make a concerted effort to look at us first. Musicians, come, please, if you will. If you, here's what I know. If people will get their heart right, their feet will follow them. <laughs> you get your heart right, your hands will follow. You get your heart right, your mind, it'll follow. You get your heart right with God. Amen, I gotta work on me. If I'm going to be the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend that I need to be, that I gotta, I gotta lock the door behind me and I gotta get in that closet alone with God. And I gotta say, speak to me, speak to me. You know, we, I believe in prayer and fasting. Let me, let me show you something about fasting. We don't fast so that God can hear us. We pray so that God can hear us. We fast so we can hear God. Fasting helps us turn down the noise. Amen, turn down the noise. You know, we've, uh, I've, I've been kind of made fun of this a little bit, but, uh, Sometimes we fast, we have to do a media fast. Somebody says, oh, that ain't fasting. No. Okay. We've done a, um, what do we call the fast? Progressive fast. That ain't fasting. All of that is coming from people I suppose that's never tried it. Because <laughs> you know sometimes, and I'm, I'm I, because generally in our progressive fast and things of that nature, we end with an abs, a total abstinence fast. But you know sometimes it's just easier not to do anything than it is to do a little, and we struggle with that in Pentecost. Oh yeah, I ain't just talking about food either. Some of you know that, so we will probably do. A little of this, and then we just go hog wild and just get carnal as cats. You know, 
If it's any consolation, here's a public service announcement. If it is any consolation to you that in the morning at daylight, Sister Boyd and I are going on vacation, and so the next few services, you're going to be in the hands of the sweetest people, and they're just going to love all over you, and you're going to thank God I'm out of town for a little while. Amen. <laughs> so we, we struggle with balance. We struggle with moderation. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So you're, you, I never will forget the first time I heard about the progressive fast. I was thinking, you can have vegetables? <laughs> cool beans. All I got to do is just stay away from sugar and dessert and coffee. That was a little bit of a deal. But coffee and, man, but you, and after a while, you're vegetables again. I'm so sick of vegetables. We, oh, just so tired. Just so tired. That discipline, the discipline to say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Yes, no. There's strength there. There's strength there. Amen. So hear me today. Hear me today. I pray that we don't become like the scribes and the Pharisees, that we become so full of hypocrisy. That's what Jesus said. He said, outward you appear righteous unto men. But what he was trying to say, I know who you are. He said, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Everybody's praising you for what you look like and how you're walking, how you're talking, but I know who you are. I know who you are. Amen. And so I pray that the Lord will help us. And I just feel that I'm, I'm almost done, but I need to make some closing remarks. I don't want to just end this like this. I want to state one more time for the record that we are a church that is built firmly on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And I want you to know one more time that I am thankful and I don't ever want to cut the... The, the mooring, the, the cord that would keep us tied to our apostolic distinctives. There are some things that are distinctively apostolic. And I'm not just talking about our music, but I'm talking about our dress, how we conduct ourselves, where we go, where we don't go. Amen. I don't want to, that's what we're built on. That's what we're built on. God has always had a people that have been separate. They've always Always, this is not just something we made up along the way. Always God has had a people that has been separate. Amen, so I'm thankful that we are apostolic from center to circumference and I don't wanna back away from that one ounce. Amen, I wanna stand with moderation. I wanna preach and lead and teach and pastor and shepherd with moderation and I know that, that, that times change and all, all sorts of things change and we have to change our method but we're not into changing our message. Because this is what separates. This is what brings us where we are. Amen. We don't just need to have a church that knows how to stand. We need to have a church that can withstand. Amen. And so in order to do that, we must build something below, something significant, something that will hold us. I don't want to just look like a Christian. I want to be a Christian. And sometimes you don't know if you are until you're tested, tried, pulled, tugged. You don't know about turning that other cheek. You know, that's easy to talk about that. You don't know about turning that other cheek until you're seeing stars where somebody just slapped you on one. Now you've got a decision to make. So to get my balance, I've got a decision to make. How am I going to do this? How am I going to handle this? Amen. So to assist us in, in the building below the waterline of our souls, we're going to have to spend time with God like never before. And I'm just 
I'm just begging, I'm imploring, I'm reaching with every fiber of my soul. I mean, individual times of prayer, individual consecration with God, individual fasting and reading the word of God. Come on, don't just think about church at nine o'clock on Sunday. Don't just think about church at five o'clock on Wednesday. But I mean, we've got to get our minds engaged long before we start getting our bodies dressed. Amen, I want, I want this to always be, you know what the greatest compliment we've ever received from our guest speakers that come by here who know nothing about us? You know what the greatest compliment it isn't how well the yard looks thank you brother junior it isn't how well the, the building looks thank you sister jennifer it didn't it didn't how well everything is maintained it isn't how the decor thank you to the ladies my wife and the ladies who have done all uh, were instrumental in all of these things thank you thank you you know what the greatest compliment has been amen it has been brother boyd i have never preached in a church that that loved the word of god any more than this i've never stood in a pulpit that loved preaching any more than this and so I say, God, woo. It, ooh, 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 ooh. Woo. Hallelujah. And so if, if for whatever reason we wind up with walls that are army green and concrete on the floor, if we can just always be a church that loves the word of God, we'll make it. 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 We've got to have a good foundation. Amen. Stand. Let's stand. Let's stand, please. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's love truth. Let's love truth. Oh, let's love truth. Amen. Love the truth of the word of God. Oh, I love you, Jesus. And we love him. Can we just worship the Lord? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, I just feel like we are together around the front, church. Come on. I know we can't all get here, but get as close as you can. Don't walk halfway and stop. Amen. Let's feel this front as tight as we possibly can. Amen. With warm bodies. Now let's lift our voice and praise and magnify. Can we worship him? Can we worship him? Oh, God, I feel such a divine presence. I feel such a divine push in this house. I feel such a divine drawing, Lord, of your spirit that is pushing us away from carnal things, pulling us, pulling us into the power, powerful precepts of your word of holiness and righteousness and, and right living. Oh, love you, I love you, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. I've, I've struggled a little bit as to whether or not to even say this, but I feel to say something. A few weeks ago, I got a letter in the mail from someone who has been away from God for a long, long time. It was several pages, several page letter. And in this letter, this individual said, I know that there's a lot of churches that are changing. And he said, I know what I'm about to say. It's going to sound very strange coming from me. Which almost I felt like it was Paul getting ready to say the chiefest of sinners. But he said, don't change. Don't change. Don't, don't stop preaching. 
I, I held that letter, I started weeping. My wife comes home, I said, I've got to read something to you. I'm, I'm not trying to make this individual to be the mouthpiece of the world, but I, I'm telling you, it was a real insight. Wouldn't you think that somebody like that would be saying, you know, if you'll make it a little lighter, I'll come home. If you make it a little easier, I'll come home. Say, please, whatever you do, brother boy, don't stop preaching. Don't stop preaching holiness. Don't stop preaching baptism. Don't stop preaching the oneness of God. Don't stop. Don't, 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 don't. This was not coming from the church. This was not a preacher friend. This was not a pastor friend saying, come on, hang in there, buddy. This was somebody that was adrift that was saying, if I ever come home, I want to make sure when I come home. to say is unfair. I won't call names because it would be it would be unfair. That would be unfair. He called some of you by name. And he said, I want to make sure when I get there that so and so still has long hair. I want to make sure when I get there that so and so still still living right. I want to make sure, please, please, please. I'm not ready to come yet, but when I get there, please make sure. <laughs> he asked me, promise, promise me, promise me, promise me, that when I get there, it'll still be like I remember. Still be what I remember when I was a little boy. Oh, God, I feel a holy mandate laying on our shoulders. Oh, 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 oh. It was a cry from the darkness, a cry from the wilderness. It was a cry from the pig pen. Cry from the pig pen that said, please, please. And so I'm telling you, church, for the sake, Brother Rayleigh preached it so long ago, for the sake of all those that are far off, even some that may have drifted off, let's make sure when they get here that we are still what we have always and the only way we can do that is to make sure the foundation is right. Oh, God. Jesus. 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 Speak, Lord. I've done all I know to say.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.